You're looking at the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. This is where Jesus gives his command to his church, specifically the apostles, to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's look again, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It is a privilege again, as I said before, to come and to be preaching again. And not just for one week at a time, but now looking forward to ministry together. As we begin this morning, our sermon is going to come from Luke chapter 9. We'll be reading Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Now, as, as you're turning there, I'm going to explain what we're going to be doing in the next few weeks. We're going to look at parts of Luke chapter 9. It may be a little bit surprising to say that I'm going to begin a series on just one chapter and one chapter in the middle of a book. They seem like we're just starting in the middle of something, and it's true. But I think Luke chapter 9 is especially helpful because it really sets up two very important questions that each of us needs to be able to answer. Number one, the question is, who is Jesus? It's one of the main questions in all of this chapter. Who is Jesus? And second, the second question is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Who is Jesus? And what does it mean to follow Jesus? These really are pressing questions for each one of us. If you aren't a believer yet, then you need to see Jesus for who he actually is and then who he calls you to be. You need to see these things. And I pray that through these next weeks, God will use this chapter and these sermons for your salvation. But also for those of us who are believers, we can't just brush these questions aside. No, we also need again and again to see who he actually is and who he is calling us to be. And my prayer for us as believers is that in these, this chapter, what God will be doing is to help us to love him and to serve Christ better. So who is Jesus? And what does it mean to follow him? I'll give you a sneak peek at where this chapter is going. Really what we're learning from the whole of Luke chapter 9 is that Jesus is the promised, suffering, glorious Savior and King. And then what following Jesus means, well, what Jesus shows us is that we need to understand and believe who he is, and then we need to serve him sacrificially. That's kind of where the whole chapter is heading for. There's a lot more that could be said about the whole chapter, but I want to focus just this morning on the opening verses, verses 1 
through 6. So let's read those together now. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. And he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave the town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. The story in these verses seems simple enough, right? Jesus gives the twelve apostles a special mission of preaching and healing. You may have noticed this mission comes with some very important and maybe even surprising instructions. And the apostles go and do exactly what Jesus has commanded them. But in these verses here, in Luke 9, we see what's actually a major shift in Jesus' ministry. Think about the beginning of Luke, Luke 1 through Luke 8. Well, we learn who Jesus is in those chapters. He's the Christ. He's the promised Savior, the Son of God. And time after time, we see what Jesus does. We see him preach sermons and heal the crowds. But what we see here in Luke 9, 1 through 6, is Jesus now equipping and sending others to participate in his ministry. It's not just Jesus now preaching and teaching. Jesus is actually sending the apostles in his power to do his work. These events really in these verses are a concrete step toward the Great Commission. It's what we read about from Matthew. It's the command that Jesus has given to his church to spread the gospel and to build that church. And these events in Luke 9, they're looking forward to the Great Commission. Even beyond that, They are concrete steps toward your and my service in Christ's church today. may sound like a big claim, right? I'm saying these verses are directly related to what you are doing today. But it's true, and I want you to see that this morning. As we look at these verses together, the main idea is that Jesus the King equips his followers to serve him, and he gives them a central role in his work. Don't miss that. Jesus is the king who is actually equipping his followers to serve him. And then he gives each one of us an important role in his work. So we look at these verses together. We'll see that Jesus first equips for the mission, verses 1 through 2. Jesus explains the mission, verses 3 to 5. And the apostles then fulfill the mission in verse 6. So equips, explains, and fulfill. We see Jesus equipping for the mission in verses 1 through 2. Jesus called the 12 together, and what does he do? He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. 
Well, we know the 12 there are the 12 apostles. We're talking about Simon, Andrew, James, and John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Simon, Judas, and also Judas Iscariot. These are the 12 that Jesus chose back in Luke chapter 6. But they've largely stayed in the background in chapter 6, 7, and 8. The focus, again, has largely been on Jesus, what he's been preaching and what he's been doing. But now Jesus calls those same 12 men to himself and he equips them for a new mission. Let's look at the mission itself first. We find that in verse 2. The apostles are meant to do two things. They're supposed to proclaim the kingdom of God and they're supposed to heal. Those are the two things they're doing on their mission. Those two things of proclaiming the kingdom and healing are the exact same things that Jesus has been doing in his ministry. If you look earlier in Luke, we'll see verses like Luke 4:43. Jesus is reflecting on his own preaching. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So as Jesus says, why am I here? I am proclaiming the kingdom of God. But Jesus' public ministry has also been characterized by healings. You might remember, for example, the story of the paralytic being let down through the roof into Jesus' presence. And he heals him. We see that in Luke chapter 5. It's just one example of the healings that Jesus has done. But the basic point here is that Jesus is sending the apostles now to do what he has already been doing. His ministry is now going to be their ministry as well. But what exactly has Jesus been doing? We know he's been preaching and healing, but what do those things mean? What does it mean to proclaim the kingdom of God? And have you ever thought, why heal as well? How does healing fit into that kind of proclamation, that preaching? Well, when Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of God, remember, that's his purpose. When he proclaims the kingdom of God, he is proclaiming the gospel. That's the simplest way to think about it. Because he is proclaiming that God is the king of salvation. The kingdom of God is where God uses his power to defeat his enemies and then to bring sinful men to worship him. Really, the good news of the kingdom of God is that God reigns, that he saves sinners, and that these people now serve him and are blessed by him. That's what Jesus has been proclaiming as he's gone through Israel. That may be clear, but what about healing? Why is Jesus doing this miraculous healing? How does that fit with the message of the kingdom of God? Well, when Jesus healed, when he cured diseases, when he cast out demons, he was showing that the, that the kingdom of God had come. Let, let me give you an illustration. I can tell you that I'm very strong. I can tell you that. I can tell you right now that's not true. Um, but there's a big difference, right, between me just saying something and me showing you. If I had a pair of dumbbells right now and I said, I'm really strong, and then I reached out and I picked up those dumbbells, I think you'd believe me, right? There's something similar going on with what Jesus is doing. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's preaching. He's talking. 
But then he, in his miracles, he's showing that this is true. He's showing that the power of the kingdom of God is being unleashed now. Those miracles that he's doing are supporting his message. If you think about it, that makes sense because who or what is opposing God and his kingdom? Well, it's sin and Satan. Who or what are Jesus defeating in his miracles? Well, he's attacking and defeating Satan, sin, and that kingdom. He defeats Satan by casting out demons. And he's actually reversing the effects of sin by healing and even bringing people back from the dead. But those miracles are not just pointing to that power of the kingdom of God, though that's true. They're actually pointing even deeper because they're showing that in the kingdom of God, God has the power to save. Remember that paralytic I mentioned earlier, the one who came down through the roof? If you remember that story, Jesus does not just heal him. He does that. But you remember how he starts? He actually says, your sins are forgiven. And then he heals him to show that he's able to save that man. Jesus, as he proclaims the kingdom of God and as he heals, is showing the power of the kingdom of God. Now, I know this was a deep dive maybe into what Jesus is doing, but we have to know what Jesus' mission is to understand what he's telling the apostles to do. Because, again, he's giving the apostles the same mission that he himself is already doing. The apostles are proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And they are demonstrating the power and the blessing of the kingdom of God in healing. Now, there's no way that the apostles are going to be able to accomplish this by themselves. I mean, the miraculous healings alone, those those are clearly beyond any natural ability that we would have. But if you think about it, even the preaching part is actually too much for them to faithfully proclaim the word of God to the people. And that's exactly why Jesus gives them what they need. If you look at verse 1, Jesus gives them power and authority. He gives them the power to do something, and he gives them the right to do it as well. Jesus is equipping the apostles with exactly what they need in order to be able to preach and to heal. That that power and authority belongs to Jesus first, and Jesus then gives the apostles his own divine power and authority in order to be able to participate In his mission, they're given the strength and the right to proclaim the salvation of the kingdom of God and to demonstrate the power of the kingdom. Just stop and think about this for a moment. They are given not just the mission, but also the means to complete the mission. This This really should be amazing, that Jesus, the Son of God, chooses, doesn't have to, but he chooses to use weak, finite men in his plan to accomplish his work. Again, he doesn't have to do this. If Jesus really is all-powerful, if he really has created the whole world just by speaking, he doesn't have to use the apostles to do anything. But even more amazing than even choosing to use the apostles, I think, is that he actually gives them that power and authority. That's really a great honor for them to be working with the Savior of the world. I know this first point may have been a little long, 
I probably yes, we are still on the first point. But as we look at these next verses, I want you to see where we're going now. We need to see the mission and we need to see the power and authority given to show, to show what the apostles are able to do. So Jesus has equipped the apostles for the ministry in verses 1 through 2. Now in verses 3 to 5, Jesus goes on to actually explain more about what this mission looks like. Jesus gives the apostles in these verses very specific instructions about how they should accomplish this mission. The first command in verse 3 may seem a little foolish. He says, take nothing for your journey. Almost like, take nothing, are you sure? Yes, let me list it. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and do not have two tunics. This really sounds like the opposite of a good idea. If you're going to go on a trip, this is probably not how you would travel. You would think, maybe I need a change of clothes. Maybe I need a credit card. Maybe I need a place to sleep. None of that. Just imagine if I told you right now, I want you to Richmond. I want you to rock, walk around for a few days in Richmond, okay? No food, no suitcase, definitely no clothes. Don't bring a wallet, no money. How's that sound? Most of you would probably say, no, I'm not going to do that. But that's essentially what Jesus is actually asking the apostles to do. And the reason he's doing this is he's teaching them dependence on him. Jesus makes this point actually later in Luke when he's reflecting on this. In Luke 23:35, Jesus asks these very same apostles, he says, When I sent you out with no money or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. You can imagine what it had been like for you to, to go off and try to learn dependence this way would have been a real test of your faith, and it's a real test of the apostles' faith as well. But Jesus is gracious to them because he actually teaches them along the way that God does really provide for his people. This instruction to leave everything behind is not supposed to be a pattern for Christian ministry. Jesus himself actually commands preparation in Luke 23, that very same chapter we were just looking at. But this experience is teaching the apostles to depend on God and not just to depend on God for their daily bread. They've already been learning to do that, but more specifically to depend on God for their success in serving him. As we move forward in verses 44 to 5, Jesus gives more explanation of, of what he wants to happen in this mission. And actually what he's doing is he's explaining to them now what their experience will be like. What will it be like to go on a mission for me? Well, they are supposed to expect acceptance and also rejection. In verse 4, the apostles are commanded to stay in the house they enter in a town. Someone offers them hospitality when they walk into town and they're meant to accept it. Now, when, when you think about that command just at the very basic level, could sound similar to what he said. Trust me, I'll work it out. Don't take anything someone's going to provide for you. And that, that could be true. But if we look at the same story in Matthew, there's actually something else going on. It becomes clear from the book of Matthew that the people who are offering this hospitality to the apostles are those who have actually accepted their message. So God is taking care of the apostles on their trip, right? But he is doing this, and note this, he is doing this 
by using people in his kingdom. Maybe by causing some of these people who offer the hospitality, maybe by causing them to actually come to faith through the apostles' message when they come to that village. Maybe some of these people have actually already been saved. But in either case, these are people who believe and who are supporting the kingdom of God. That's the acceptance. That's the good part about their mission. But verse 5 is about rejection. Jesus says, And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Think about this just for a moment. The apostles would be rejected. That is something that they can count on in the next few days. Jesus says not, oh, when they do not receive you, if they do not receive you. No, he says, wherever they do not receive you. The expectation is actually rejection. And that's because of the message that they are proclaiming. The message of the gospel and the coming of the kingdom of God is not popular. And is not popular because it confronts us in our sin. God is king. And if God is king, that means you and I are not king. And if he is king, that means he is also the king of your life. That message of the kingdom of God is that you and I are sinners, broken God's law, and that our only hope, not just one hope, but our only hope is to be saved by Christ. This was not a popular message when Christ proclaimed it. It led to the cross. It wasn't a popular message when the apostles preached it. They were rejected from towns, and how many of them died for their faith? It's not a popular message now when you or I are called to share it. But even as the apostles face rejection, notice that Jesus doesn't leave them there. He is not just preparing them for rejection. He's actually preparing them also for his judgment. The judgment that comes from rejecting God and his kingdom. That's the purpose, actually, of what the apostles are commanded to do. Remember, when they go to the town and they're rejected, they're supposed to shake the dust off the soles of their feet. That's a way of saying that you and I, we don't have anything to do with one another. Do you see the symbolism in this act? The apostles came to this village as the messengers of the king, proclaiming the coming kingdom of God. And if you choose to reject that message, you're rejecting that messenger. But more importantly, you are rejecting the king, the one who sent that man to talk to you. And if you reject the king, that that means you're outside of his kingdom. And outside of the kingdom of God is only the kingdom of Satan. And God promises to judge all those who are outside of Christ, outside of his kingdom. So Jesus is explaining then what the disciples, what these 12 apostles can expect on their trip. They will learn dependence on Christ. They they and their message will be accepted, but also... They and their message will be rejected. And they can actually take comfort in the the sure knowledge of coming judgment. So with these things in mind, the apostles set out. 
And we see in verse 6 what seems like just a very simple statement that the apostles fulfill the mission. Just one simple sentence. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Do you see what this very simple statement actually shows? Jesus' words to his apostles were not empty words. He really was able to give them power and authority to help them to accomplish his own mission. And in the strength of Jesus' power and authority, the apostles were able to do what he told them to do. Do not overlook the fact of what the apostles accomplished. Maybe a better way to say it is actually, don't overlook the fact of what Jesus was able to accomplish through the apostles. But this trip through the villages, this was really only the beginning because Jesus continued to work through his apostles. That's what we saw in the Great Commission in Matthew. That's what we see throughout the book of Acts is that Jesus is at work through his church and specifically through his apostles. These same men that we see here, minus Judas Iscariot, these same men are given the mission of spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. They're given the mission of proclaiming Christ and his kingdom. Before Jesus returned to heaven, he teaches them more about the kingdom of God. And as he prepares to leave, he gives them this promise, this command. I want you to listen to these words coming from Acts 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Not just the village next door, to the very ends of the earth. As the apostles go out in the book of Acts, they're not proclaiming a kingdom of God that has come. They're witnessing now, not just to the kingdom, but to the King Jesus, as they have seen him dead, raised, and ascended and reigning. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, they are now giving the full message, proclaiming his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his reign, and his coming return. But this is not just a mission for the apostles. In Luke 9, only the apostles were given that very special mission, right? And in Acts, the apostles are the primary ones, the main ones tasked with being Jesus' witnesses. But when the Holy Spirit comes to give power, the Holy Spirit comes on all in the church at Pentecost. And you and I, we stand on the other side of Pentecost now. And you and I are equipped with the power and authority of the Holy Spirit not to perform miracles anymore. We don't need that because we have the fullness of revelation. But each one of us can and should be participating in the mission that Christ has given us to proclaim his work for sinners and his reign as king. This passage here presents both a challenge and an encouragement to us. First, first the challenge. It's this simple question. Do you understand who Jesus is and what he came to do? Do you understand that? Not just a Sunday school answer, but do you understand and believe it? That Jesus, the perfect son of God, came to proclaim and to bring God's rule 
And Jesus, as the King, died on the cross so that you as sinner could be turned from a rebel into a son so that you can serve your King forever. Have you bowed the knee to Jesus the King? Have you bowed the knee in repentance and in faith and in service? That is the challenge of this passage. But this passage also comes with a great encouragement. And it really is a great encouragement because Jesus Christ has chosen to use you and I to build his kingdom. Not because we're so great, but because he is great. And he gives us his spirit to enable us, to empower us, to be able to serve him. Well, the Bible is very clear that Jesus uses every one of his people. That means this morning, Jesus is using every believer here to build his church. That is a great privilege for us. And Lord willing, he is going to use us to build this church here, this local congregation. You might ask, what does it look like, though? What does it look like for Christ to use me to build his church? Well, obviously through preaching and teaching, through his ministers, but also for every one of us, we are given the Holy Spirit to be able to give encouragement one, to one another, to be constant in prayer, to be meeting practical needs, to be sharing the gospel, to being present with one another, to help each other grow in holiness. These are all things that each one of us shares in. These really are just some of the ways, though, that Christ is using us to build his church. But as we go forward together, as we serve together, as we are being used by Christ, it can be discouraging at times because as we look around at each other and think, we're in big trouble because it's just us. Have you ever found yourself thinking about that as you have served in a church before? That's where this... This passage, though, has great encouragement. It's not just that Jesus is relying on us, not just that Jesus is using us, but Jesus is here with us and he is empowering us. When we see those seasons of discouragement, when we wonder, how in the world can I be useful in this church? Remember Jesus' words. It is not you, ultimately, who is building the church. It is Jesus. He says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, these are your words for us that you have sent your people to do your work. It's encouraging to see the work of the apostles and to see that you truly use people, use us, in your ministry. We pray that we would see the privilege that you have given each one of us, the right to be called children of God and then to serve you as those children to to work in your kingdom. And Lord, we pray that you would make us faithful because you are faithful. Your promises are true. You will never, ever fail. And we pray that you would help us to live lives of obedience as we seek to be used by you to build your kingdom. We pray that you would be even at work now in us for those very same purposes. And we pray that we would seek to live again lives of obedience today and in the week to come. 
We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.